Welcome to Bank of Singapore Unplugged. Good afternoon. My name is Todd Schubert, and I'm Head of Fixed Income Research. I'm joined by my colleagues, David McConey and Alexei Skolnick. I'm going to kick things off by discussing our fixed income outlook with an emphasis on how to position for rising rates and inflation. David and Alexei will then follow with discussions on opportunities in their respective coverage areas. So let's get going. Inflation is certainly one of the biggest headwinds facing the market currently. The recent 7.9% reading in February was the worst since early 1982. Now, one of the key factors in rising inflation is commodity prices. And we just witnessed the worst quarter in 30 years. But a wide range of commodities, from energy to metals to food, have risen sharply this year. Now, U.S. Treasury yields have risen sharply as investors fear that the Fed will be forced to aggressively hike rates to rein in inflation. In the first quarter, the 10-year rose by 100 basis points and the two-year rose by an even more incredible 130 basis points. The two to 10-year Treasury curve has actually modestly inverted, which shows that investors are wary that a Fed policy mistake could lead to a potential economic slowdown or even a recession. Now, credit performance for the first quarter, which was the worst in many, many years. Rising rates was a major factor. Now, among the credit classes, there was a high correlation between interest rate exposure and performance. The outlier is emerging market high yield, and we'll explain why this is the case in a moment. Now, on a regional basis, there was a huge dispersion in returns. Europe was down 35% and Asia almost 10%. However, Latin America, Africa, and the Middle East all had comparatively modest 2 to 3% declines. Now, moving down to countries, you can see most of the damage was done by two countries, China, which was down 25%, and Russia, which was down 75%. Now, Mexico also had a, a down quarter, around 10%, but all of the other major countries in emerging market high yield were only down 2 to 3%, and Turkey actually managed to eke out a modest gain. Now, in emerging market investment grade, you saw a similar relationship between interest rate exposure and performance. Latin America had the highest duration, and not surprisingly, the second worst performance. Now, Europe and CEMIA's poor performance is again a reflection of Russia, which actually started the year at investment grade. From a relative value basis, emerging market high yield is relatively attractive, both in comparison to US high yield, the chart on the left, and emerging market investment grade, the chart on the right. Now, in terms of, of our asset class views, we remain underweight U.S. investment grade and emerging market investment grade. The main rationale is that these two asset classes have higher durations and, and hence a higher interest rate exposure. We remain market weight on emerging market high yield. It has the most attractive valuations, the lowest duration, and we think the worst damage from China and Russia is actually over. US in U.S. high yield, we remain market weight. It has lowest duration. It's domestically U.S. focused, 
and it has a high component of energy, about 15% of the index. Now, in terms of our emerging market credit views, the emerging market high yield, we're actually neutral from a regional point of view. We don't prefer any region over the other. Now, from a sector focus, we like defensive. We like things like utilities and telecommunications, renewables, and we also like commodities that are gonna benefit from what we see as an ongoing positive commodity cycle. Things like oil and gas, energy, and metals and mining. Now, where are the, these type of, of industries found? A lot of them are, are found in the Gulf region, the GCC, Africa, Indonesia, in India, Brazil, and select other Latin American countries to a certain extent like Peru and Chile. In emerging market investment grade, we actually do have a view. We're overweight Asia and underweight Latin America. The reason for that is China actually dominates investment grade and is largely quasi-sovereign and systemically important, whereas Latin America has a much higher duration. In terms of our sector focus, it's the same as an emerging market high yield. In terms of our rates views, given that the US Treasury curve is already inverted, we prefer the two to three year bucket versus the seven to 10 year. However, we would note that there are now a number of 30 year sovereign and quasi sovereign bonds trading in the $80 range and some even lower. For longer term investors, it makes sense to start looking at these as we believe that the further downside is limited. And with that, I'll pass it over to David. Thanks very much, Todd. I'm David McConey, and we'll now give a brief overview of our current thinking with respect to emerging market sovereigns within the current market environment. Sovereign bonds have underperformed since last year as the market has braced itself for U.S. rate hikes, with total returns of sovereign bonds underperforming those of other major bond asset classes, including EM corporate bonds and U.S. high-yield and U.S. high-grade debt. In addition to the market repricing of risk in the run-up to the Fed rate hikes, other factors have also influenced bond performance, including idiosyncratic factors, associated with domestic events within the EM universe. A strong US dollar, rising inflation, and growing fears of pressured economic growth over the near term. With the recent notable slowdown of economic growth in China also having an impact. Despite all these headwinds, we believe pending rate hikes are now largely priced in by the market. Bond yields have largely retraced from their recent highs uh, following the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and are now trading at levels that are now close to recent multi-year averages. That said, any sudden deviation in the U.S. Fed's expected sequencing of imminent rate hikes may lead to a rapid change in market sentiment, which could reverse uh, the spread tightening that we've seen recently. So what do we recommend clients do under current market conditions? We would recommend exposure to countries best able to withstand market headwinds currently, and these include energy exporters in the GCC region, for instance, trade-oriented economies in Southeast Asia, but also quasi-sovereigns in the energy sectors in Asia, Latin America, and the GCC. We would also consider supranational entities, given their high credit ratings and multinational uh, sovereign support that they enjoy. We also see a number of key sovereign risks for emerging markets over the near term. 
And a key factor to look out for is election season this year, uh, which will present some policy and governability risks across affected countries in Latin America, such as Brazil and Colombia, Eastern and Central Europe, where, in fact, Hungary has just held elections recently, and the Philippines in May this year. We also see persistent inflation as a growing risk, given uh, elevated food and energy prices, with recent hawkish trends by emerging market central banks in response to inflation, likely to moderate growth this year. Although expenditure associated with COVID-19 is now largely peaked across the EM universe, there are risks of a continued debt overhang as countries grapple with the spending implications of the pandemic. There is also some risk of financing conditions tightening across the EM universe should the Fed surprise in how it sequences uh, pending interest rate hikes, which of course is not our base case scenario. All in all, we expect asset volatility within the bond, equity, and fixed income markets to remain elevated over the near term in emerging markets. I now hand over to my colleague, Oleksi, to give, give a brief overview of some of our bottom-up thinking in the EM corporate universe. Thank you, David. So, as Todd already mentioned, one region which was under significant pressure this year is CEMIA. Major source of underperformance, though, came from just one country, from Russia. Following the invasion of Ukraine and stiff sanctions that were introduced on Russia, large part of Russian corporate landscape has become de facto uninvestable. Then, at the end of March, Russia was dropped out of all major credit indices. At the same time, other two sub-regions within CEMIA performed much better. What is striking is how resilient Africa has been, and not just in the short run, but also looking at the returns in the medium term. Africa has outperformed all other regions within EM fixed income over three-year, five-year, and even 10-year time horizons. To get a little bit of background of what African space looks like, <coughs> let's check what constitutes African credit. First, unsurprisingly, most of African corporates are high yield rated. Africa is a small constituent of the JP Morgan SEMBI Broad Index, accounting for only 3.6% weight, but it's a much more significant weight in the high yield version of the index with 14.3%. In terms of the country breakdown, Two largest countries in terms of market value are South Africa and Nigeria, which jointly account for 56%. Other large countries within the region are Morocco, Egypt, uh, Zambia, and Ghana, adding up to additional 35%. In terms of industries, apart from financials, marketing is dominated by metals and mining, industrials, telecoms, and oil and gas. These four industries have higher concentration in Africa than in broader EM, accounting for 62% against only 28% in broader market. Here we'll try to explain some uh, reasons for African outperformance. Uh, first, relatively small size and modest issuance levels paired with high diversification benefits creates a healthy demand for African credit. Valuations pricing decent political risk premiums which lead to a higher spread per unit of credit risk against other regions. As showcased on the previous slides, Africa benefits from a more favorable industry mix. 
In addition, may, many of the African issuers are systemically important uh, national champions with explicit or implicit sovereign support. Since Africa is a major commodity exporter, the recent commodity boom is helping sustain positive performance trajectory. Intuitively, one may assume that since Africa is predominantly high yield, uh, the volatility should be higher in comparison to other regions. But, but as the, we see from the chart on the bottom right, uh, the volatility is, is, is comparable to the regions where investment grade dominates the, the universe much more, like Middle East and Africa and, and Asia. Sorry. Default rates within the region have also been low, especially over the last five years. And finally, Africa offers the highest spread and lowest duration among major geographic regions, which is especially important considering the raising interest rates environment. Going forward, we expect Africa to continue to outperform uh, other regions given the favorable commodity cycle. And secondly, since Africa is well positioned to capture capital flows reallocated from Russia within the CEMIA. Thank you, David. Uh, thank you, Alexei. Certainly, investing in a rising rate environment is going to require a new paradigm and a new perspective. This podcast was brought to you by Bank of Singapore.